You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue our series through the book of Philippians as Pastor Josh Brady preaches from chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In these verses, we see the example that Christ set for us of humility and obedience to the Father. As we listen today, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would guide us into truth and convict us so that we can become more like Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians 2 is going to be our text for this morning. Uh, And as you are turning there, I want to give you a reminder of where we are in this sacred text, that we are in this incredible work. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Remember, Philippi is in Greece, but as it is understood with New Testament history, it looks anything but a Greek town. Uh, More than likely, uh, it would be hard for you to distinguish between Philippi and Rome. Uh, For Rome has occupied Philippi at this time, uh, and just about everywhere you go and everything you see is going to be Roman. And again, if you wanted to go back and and kind of get a a frame of reference for what these believers were potentially walking through, uh, go back to Romans chapter 1, and and you can read the setting, the backdrop in which they are going to live a life that in many ways is going to, to honor Christ on days that are easy and many days that are difficult. Uh, and so last week we, we looked at a, a passage of scripture and, and we're going to go back and, and look at that one verse. So I know we're going to start in five today, but we're going to cover one through four again. But I want you to go back even one chapter, probably on the same page, Philippians 1, 27. Philippians 1, 27 says this in the ESV, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And last week we talked about how uh, different translations have have translated this passage, and and really, even though I love the ESV and preach out of it weekly, I really like the way the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, translated this. And it says, just one thing, as a citizen of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's just this idea that that if we could boil down the Christian life into one thing, one thing alone that, that stood above everything else, it is this, let everything that we do who we are, what we say, the actions we take part in, let that life live to honor the Lord Jesus. And again, we, we could have stopped right there last week, and, and some probably said we should have, but, but we could have stopped right there last week. But, but we, we understand that in that moment, we need to begin to, to take an audit of our life. To consider, are we, with, with all that we are, what we say, what we do, what we take part in, is it honoring the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it living in a way in a, that, is, that is worthy of the manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that true? And so some people across this room, and probably even many, would say, yes, Josh, that, that's exactly right. I, I want to live a life that honors Christ. And then maybe you got out of here, and, and church ended, life group ended, and you're back in your cars. Maybe Monday happens, and you're like, I want to live to honor Christ. But how do I do that? Like, what, what, what practically do I need to be doing that is going to, to cause me to live a life that is worthy of the manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we looked a little bit of that in verses 1 through 4 last week. That's where we ended our time. I just simply want to go back and reread those, okay? So now we're in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. This is just a reminder of what we talked about last week. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's going to be key. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also at the interest of others. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is giving an answer to verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. We want to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's correct. Well, well how do we do that? Well, he's saying, look, look, if you belong to Jesus, then your life is going to be marked by these things. He's saying, look, if you are comforted in any way by Christ's love, if you have any desire to join him in his mission to, in, to, to, to bring forth the kingdom of God, if you love him, if you wake up and you think about the Lord Jesus, if you go about your day and, and you consider, did, did that answer reflect the, the love that I have for Christ? Did the way that I treat that person reflect the way that I love the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have any sympathy for people, if you're driving around, if you're, if you're going about your life and you look at people and they hurt and your heart begins to connect with them and hurt with them, if that's who you are, then Paul says, then have the same love. The same mind, being connected together in one spirit. But then he gives this warning. And church, I think we need to take a pause again, even today, and hear this warning. For you know our mission statement here at Broadmoor is we are a united family of faith. Joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. We believe that with all that we are. This warning Paul gives is going to be the warning that is going to stop our mission in its tracks. It'll be the warning that stops you in your track from glorifying God with all that you are and all that you do. Here are the warnings that he gives in verses 1 through 4. They're, they're simple as they sound, but really profound when we understand them rightly. Here, here's, here's the warning. Be careful. The things that will sabotage that connection and that, that sharing of the same mind is, number one, selfish ambition. And number two, vain conceit. Now, again, that may sound churchy or, or maybe kind of old English to you. Let me, let me kind of put this in a different way. Selfish ambition is it's all about you and not about me, and I hate that it's about you. That, that would be selfish ambition. That, that's when, when somebody else has something good happen to them, and we feel some kind of way towards them, and it's not a godly way. But then there's the other side of that same coin, and it's the same coin, and it's vain conceit. It sounds something like this, that it's all about me, and I love it, and I don't care what you think. And so we have both of those at play, and so hear me out. Those may sound like extremes, but when they are the most damaging to the mission of the church and to the glory of Christ is when they're not extreme. It's when they are just every day. It's when you go to your workplace tomorrow. And you are living to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and you wake up and you say, Lord, fill my heart with your love and your joy. Send people in my path that I can minister to them in your name and for your glory. And the first person that gets into your path has the spotlight on them and not you and you get mad at them. And right there, the enemy steals your joy away from the mission. That, that, that is the warning that he is giving. And even, even worse, so, so that would be us reaching out to those who are not yet in the kingdom. We want to serve them so they can love the Lord Jesus. What's even worse and damaging to this mission is when we see each other on the same team as now enemies. 
that somehow it is our kingdom or somehow it is your kingdom. And I don't like that it's your kingdom. I want it to be my kingdom. Here's what we have to remember. And I know this is elementary, but we need to confess this to each other every time we gather. Jesus is the king and we are not. We've got to remember that in all aspects of our life. For in that, we find ourselves humbly submissive to his will and his word for our life. The moment we get that twisted, the moment we begin to believe something special about ourselves is the moment that we get caught up in this selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now, he he also gives them some encouragement. And he was not going to, to just say, hey, stay away from these things. He's going to call them to things. And so if we were to continue in verses one through four, just as a reminder of last week, things that will strengthen the connection and the sharing of the same mind. He says, consider others as more important than yourself. So so go ahead, when you wake up tomorrow, the Lord would give you grace to do so. Go ahead and resolve in your heart, before you see anyone, resolve in your heart and your mind that others are more important than you are. So we we know that the ounce of prevention is is worth much more than the pound of cure, right? It, It is much more important, I think, prudent for the Christian to go ahead and resolve in their heart the things that they believe long before they need to believe them. And so when, when you get into the, a moment of trying to figure out whose kingdom is whose, that, that's probably the wrong place to go ahead and live here. We need to go ahead before we get around anybody, when it's just us and our coffee mug and our Bible in the morning, that we need to wake up and say, Jesus, you're Lord, and I'm not. The people you put in my path today, sovereignly, you're going to put there, and I'm going to trust, no matter how joyful or difficult it may be, I trust God that they are there for a reason. And so with that, we say open-handedly, Jesus, you are the king, and I am not. This is how we stay of one mind together. The the key is this, and this is where we're going to pick up in our text for today, but when we we do these things, when we live others-centered, when we live without us being in the spotlight or, or, or desiring to get the spotlight, we must individually and collectively as God's church, verse five, are you ready? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind? He said, have this mind. He doesn't say, I want you to go and have that other person in your life group's mind, or I want you to have your your, your pastor's mind, or you're supposed to have that person that you admire online's mind. He says, have this mind among yourself. Which one is that? Well, that mind is about to be on display. It's the mind of Christ. But not only are we to have Christ's mind in our own heart, but it is, it is our mind. Look, look what he says. Notice the preposition for which Paul uses. He doesn't say that we get this mind from Christ. Here, here, there's a distinction, and I think it's important. He's not saying from as if it were a transaction. I know a lot of times we feel that our relationship with God is very transactional, meaning that we just need to come to the Bible in the morning to get some strength, put it in our body, and then we go about our day until that strength's gone, and then we come back to this word and fill back up, and then we go back out to our day. That is transactional Christianity, and that is not what God is calling us to. I don't think it's wrong for us to to receive the word every time we open it and to draw strength from it every time God would allow it. That's not the wrong thing. But if we are seeing this as something that is different or separate from who we are, then we are missing the power that the gospel explains. For it doesn't say we get it from Christ, it says we get it in Christ. 
Meaning positionally, Christ and us, by his grace, are together. That is a pretty big distinction. You don't have to to keep going back every time you mess up. You don't have to keep going back every time you struggle. You don't have to keep going back and trying to make it better every time your life falls apart. Christ is with you always. We are to have this mind among ourselves, which is ours, in Christ. The fuller understanding of that is this, that apart from Christ, this mind of unity will be apart from us. This, this goes back to the vine and the branches, Jesus' illustration that he gives so powerfully. That if we are in Christ, we have all that we need. If you are apart from Christ, you have, you have nothing. We, we may can try hard and, and do better for only a short time, but it's not going to last. Knowing this truth that Christ is our source that we are in his grace connected to. How do we then properly and practically live this out? Well, with, with this proper uh, understanding of context, I think it's going to be great for us. Now, remember, this letter is written 58, 60 AD, okay? I know this is strange, but just try to wrap your mind around it just for a moment. More than likely, when this letter shows up and they hear it read at Philippi, this is the very first written word that any of them have ever seen. Of course, the Bible hasn't been put together yet. That's in 300. The Gospels, more than likely, are just being written, the first two, and then the other ones aren't going to come for another 40 years later. There are some other circulation letters being written to other churches and other cities, but more than likely, those circulation letters haven't made it to them yet. So for the very first time, other than when the Apostle Paul came 10 years earlier and planted this church himself, this is the very first time they are hearing or receiving any kind of written, inspired word. And so for them, the words that are about to unfold, listen to me, they are on pins and needles. They can't wait to receive and really to apply what the Lord is about to tell them through the Apostle Paul. And I pray that as we get ready to walk through these sacred texts this morning, that our hearts would be much the same. I know we have 66 books that we dive in all the time. And I know that sometimes it feels like old hat to go back through a book you've probably read six or seven or eight times. But hear me out. Let's just hear it as if it were the first time we are receiving it today. As we go through this section of Scripture, there are two things that will more than likely happen, two things that we believe happened in the first century. Number one, we will see the beautiful mind of Christ on display, and we will be drawn to worship him. That's a good thing. And the second thing we will do, and both of these are going to have to be okay, and they're going to have to live in tension with each other, okay? Here's the second. We are going to be challenged to be of the same mind. With that, our insufficiencies are going to become clear to us. We're going to have a choice that we are going to need to make. How are we to move forward with what we've heard to where we know God desires for us to be? With both of those responses being right for us, let's get into this sacred text. Verse 6. The idea here is that Jesus Christ, that is where we are in, we are in him, and and we are able to to obtain this mind for ourselves. So so understanding Jesus Christ, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, we're going to go slowly through these verses, hopefully uh, allowing God to to bring out these explanations of of Christ's nature to us. 
Again, I I know this may sound elementary, but I I don't want to to go without saying it. Church, Jesus is eternally preexistent. What that means is Jesus was not created. He is the holy, uncreated one. He has always been with God the Father and God the Spirit from the beginning. We have texts that could drive us there if you want to write this down. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. It is plural. Who is the us? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is eternally preexistent. He was there. He was with God the Father in the beginning. He was with God the Spirit in the beginning. He was and is still co-equal with them, yet he did not count his equality with them, with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be clung to. He, He didn't say, I'm God, after the world has fallen apart into sin and the decay that is there. He doesn't say, I am God. You shall all bow down and worship me. You you created lesser things. You should all serve me. He certainly could have. He certainly had every right to do those things and say those things, but he didn't. Paul goes more in depth here into the heart of Christ, who is the source for us and the standard for which we are to to see and live our lives. Verse 7 But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, I talked to the staff this morning before uh, our activities got started in our prayer times, and and I said, I feel like there are a couple of different weeks I would love to preach this one passage because you could could come at it from different angles. There's one angle that, that you could just absolutely nerd out on the Greek language because it's a lot of fun and it's really, really deep. But I don't think most people enjoy the, the weeds of, of, of the Greek language. And maybe if you do, I would point your attention to, to emptied himself. If you want to go and do a word study or a phrase study, that would be a great one to go and study. The, the Greek word here for emptied is no. Not, not like N-O, but it's this idea that, that he, is, he, is, he is taking who he is and he is unrobing it. Uh, let, me, let me explain that word picture. It's as if he is taking off all the things that would show how important he is. And you may hear that and you say, Josh, that, why would he do that? He is king. He is the king of glory. Let all of heaven come in. That's what the Psalms have proclaimed for centuries. Why in the world would he take that off, the importance? It doesn't mean that he, he took off his importance. He took off the things that made him look important. Hang on. John chapter 13 is a pivotal chapter in Scripture. This is the moment where where Jesus is with his his disciples. And they're getting ready to eat dinner. But evidently, and and as culture would be for the Jewish people, to come into the door, they would need to clean their hands. They would need to clean their feet. Evidently, the person who was supposed to be cleaning the hands and feet as they walked in the door didn't show up for work that day. But if I were to understand a heart of our Lord Jesus, more than likely, he gave the man the night off. And so as they're all sitting around and they're waiting, Jesus takes off his robe and he picks up a towel and he ties it around his waist. And it's the servant's towel, it's the slave's towel. 
It's the one used for the person who doesn't matter in the room. They are there for one job and one job only, and that is to clean the the people's hands and to clean their feet so they can go and enjoy the meal. Jesus takes off that robe, lays it down, puts on the servant's towel, ties it on, grabs the basin, grabs the towel, and begins to wash their feet. And I believe this is one of the greatest pictures, the clearest pictures that we have of of when when Paul writes that he emptied himself. This is one of those pictures that that figuratively and and literally he takes off his robe where he he was the rabbi, he was their leader, and he takes it off for a moment and he ties it on. It doesn't mean that he stayed in the servant's robe. For after that moment, he put, he's still Jesus. He's still the king of glory, but in that moment, he has a job to do, so he takes off the robe, he puts on the servant's towel, and he goes to work. I don't, this would be another place where we could stop this week and just go to the invitation. For us, hear me out, if our king does that and we are to emulate him in all that we are, how often do we say, I'm not taking off my robe, I want people to know who I am. I want you to see how important I am felt that way at Kroger last night. It was a self-checkout line. Nobody wanted to help me check out. I couldn't figure it out. And I'm just losing my mind while my apples won't scan. And the lady was like, you got to move it down the aisle. And I was like, okay, thanks. Like there, there, are, mo- there are moments like that when we get, we start to become feeling ourselves. Like, like we're just sitting there like, man, you need to know who I am. Jesus said, that's not the way. For the people that love him, for the people that know him, we serve a higher king. We serve a greater kingdom. So there is nothing important about us that should draw people to us. Anything that is drawing to us should be pointing to Christ. So we, in in the manner of Christ, we empty ourselves in the same way that he did. So he emptied himself. Paul goes on to tell us how he emptied himself. says he takes the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Not only did Jesus not grasp at or cling to his God's status, when he came, he came humbly. He came as a normal, everyday person. This is still the struggle that many Jews have with the fact of Jesus' birth as we understand it. For if and when the Messiah comes, for many of them, they would say he is going to come in prominence. He is going to come into a major city. He's going to come to much fanfare. Christmas is coming. The story of his birth will be again told, again as it should. He didn't come into a famous city. Like even Jerusalem, that would make a lot of sense. He was born in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a food trough. Like he, he came, that, that, and that wasn't on accident. God sovereignly allowed Mary and Joseph to travel there and for him to be born like that. Why? Because this is true. He didn't grasp or cling to his God status. He came humbly as a normal, everyday person. But church, that wasn't the extent of his humility. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Church, this is the core of this passage. Again, if you wanted to nerd out in something fun in the Greek language, uh, we we look at this text and and it moves uh, in what is called a chiastic structure. That's a fun word to Google. And it would be this idea, if you look at a chiastic structure, uh, it looks like a V if you were going to, to chart this out for any of you English majors in the room. 
that you are going to have an opening sentence and a closing sentence, and then the supporting sentences are going to build out into the V, and then the very center of that text is going to be the main point that feeds both front and back. This is the center of this chiastic structure, for this is the main point of this hymn of Christ, that being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's why it's the core message. What is your understanding or your theology of death? Who dies? Everybody dies. Well, the Bible's clear on what brings death. It's Romans 6, 23. Do you remember? For the wages of sin is death. So anybody who has sinned gets death. Did Jesus sin? No. So for the fact that he came, he didn't consider his equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not only that, he he came as a servant. Not only that, he came as a normal human. Not only that, he came to die. But not only that, it even goes a step further. He came to die and submitting himself to death on a cross. Guys, this is absolutely wild in Jewish culture, and I want you to understand why. In the Jewish culture, it is believed that anyone who dies on the cross, or or the way that it's understood, anyone who, who hangs from wood or a tree, is most cursed among all people. So the fact that Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem and died on the cross is absolute humiliation. That's how our king came. That's what our king submitted himself to. That's how our king ended his earthly life here. But oh, church, it was just the beginning, wasn't it? And so for us, if he's not just our source, but he's also our standard, there's a lot for us to learn in this text. So often this world is telling us this life is about us. It's about letting our name be known. It's about getting our our story out to the world. But what this tells us is something different, something more, that if we live in a way that is not about us, but it's about others first, and not just for the sake of others. This isn't this idea that we are just supposed to be suffering for the sake of suffering or serving for the sake of serving. They're all but powerful platforms to proclaim the prominency of Jesus Christ. And so, to give you kind of a a, a foreshadowing of where we're going to be next Sunday, if God would allow it and we get to continue on in Philippians, there's going to come to this soaring passage and his children are going to shine like the stars in the heavens. How do we do that? We live this way in a dark and decaying world. Because when we live this way, the world takes notice. When you go to school and you live like this, the world is going to take notice. When you go to work tomorrow and you, you, you live like this, the world is going to take notice. When, when you spend your money like this in a, self, a, a, a sacrificial way, the world is going to take notice. And it shouldn't be to take notice for you and to say, oh, look how humble I am. It is not about us. For us, it's an opportunity to point to the one who changed our heart and our mind. Jesus, knowing all that would come long before any of it happened, he did not grasp or hold on to his God status. Instead, he takes it off and he comes down to tabernacle with us, to to be with us, to build his house next to us. It's literally the translation. And he's our source. 
He's our standard. He's our sacrifice, and he is our salvation. And then we come to verses 9 through 11. It's this idea that as if, as if Jesus came and he plunged into the depths of our depravity, that God in his grace is now going to pick him up and bring him higher than we've ever seen him to be. For the sake of our worship and the glory of God. Look what happens, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to the Father's plan, the Father exalted him or or lifted him high and gave him the name that is above every name. And that name, hear me out, is Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, I know we live in a place where we say, well, that name that is above every name is Jesus, because even in the very next, next line, it's going to say, and at that name, Jesus. There was a lot of Jesuses before Jesus. There's a lot of Jesuses after Jesus. Uh, do you know what the Hebrew name for Jesus is? Evidently, my mama knew and thought it was something special. It's Joshua. There's a lot of Joshuas before Any of you guys born in the 80s? There's a lot of Joshua's now. It's not necessarily the J-E-S-U-S that is so keenly important. Although, that name is now synonymous with something that is different than anything else that's ever graced this world. It is the confession that is going to come. I want you to go back and read. Verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, the J-E-S-U-S, yes, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess what? Here is the confession. Here is the exalted name, that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. He is the promised one. He is the one in whom all blessings come from and who all glory and honor should go back to. At his name, At that name, the Christ, the King, the Lord, at his name, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Just let that sink in for a minute. There is coming a day when the Lord Jesus stands and everyone, whether you love him or not, he's king. They bow. At that name, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And at that name... All glory and honor go to the Father. This is a really great moment here. As our worship team comes back up and we move into our response time, I would beg you, don't, back, don't pack up at this time. This is, I pray, better than anything we've talked about so far. When the early church would gather, we've already talked about this potentially being the very first written word they've ever received. But when the early church would gather, they would come into the room. Whatever that room would be, many times it was a house. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have cathedrals built. They, they had a temple, but really the people at the temple didn't care much for the, the Christians at the time. And that's a lot of the New Testament letters. But they would gather together in a house filled with people, some that they knew and some that they didn't know. They would be rich and poor. They would be slave and free. They would be Jews and Gentiles. And before they would do anything, say anything, or sing anything... What church history tells us is that when they walked into the room, usually a smaller setting than this, 
Imagine that. And they would recite a phrase. It was a few words, but it had eternal impact. And they would walk around the room and they would look at each other in the eye, no matter who they were, where they come from, and they would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And they would wait for everyone in the room to share that same confession with one another. Here's what it is. It is a confession of what they believe. So they knew everybody in the room believed that, but they would also know now that everybody in the room is attempting to live that. Now remember, they, 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 didn't, they, they couldn't say, well, you know, what, what's, what they're doing in Galatia? What, they, what they're doing in Rome? What, what's, go, what's going on uh, in, in the book of Revelation? How, how do we go back? They had Old Testament. They didn't have any New Testament writing. And so they confessed the key tenet to Christianity. It's not try harder to be better. It's not promise God you'll never do it again. It's Jesus Christ is Lord. Church family, Broadmoor, October 22nd, 2023. This is not a confession for AD 58. This is a confession for us today. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Because this is what it's going to take to shine like stars in heaven. That for the whole world to take notice, that it's not about us, but it is about someone or something What are you going to say? What are you going to proclaim? What name do you represent? And the early church would say, without fail, without stature, getting in the way, saying, Jesus Christ is. That is the confession we make every day that we wake up. So I would encourage you as we move into this time of response to consider your own life. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Not not just for, for this morning. Not just for when we get in trouble or, or, or when, when we need some kind of help. Of course he is. Do you see him as Lord? Do you know that he's the king? Do you know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord? Whether they want to or not. We get the grace in this moment to confess it joyfully and willingly. And as our hearts are tied together, one thing about our life is to live a life manner worthy of the gospel it boils down to one thing Jesus Christ is Lord as we move into our invitation time today I would encourage you that if there's anything in your way right now that is impeding his lordship now hear me out this, this has kind of been a struggle in the Baptist church growing so if you grew up Baptist you're going you're gonna to hear this tension if you grew up outside of the Baptist church you're going to say ah get a preacher A lot of times we we think we can make him Lord of our life. Like we prayed to make him Lord of our life or or, or we're going to make him Lord today or we're inviting him in to be Lord today. He's already Lord. We don't invite him to do anything. He is the king. We submit ourselves to his lordship and his glory. For there is coming a day that we won't have that opportunity, yet our mouth will stay the same. Jesus Christ is Lord. But when we do it now, we do so out of love, out of joy, out of the opportunity to join him in his mission and to proclaim the new kingdom that's come, that it is others-centered. 
is where we are united as one and it's not about us and it's not about you and it's all about him. And we're united in this mission that we will shine like stars in the heaven so that our Father in heaven will receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So this morning, I pray that your confession is Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it has brought to my heart this week and and hopefully to our hearts this morning. Lord, as we move into this time of response and prayer and singing, Lord, I pray, Father, that by your grace, you would begin to expose in us the things that are standing in the way of your lordship, the things that we put before you, the things that we worship that aren't you. God, much of it in my life is pride and arrogance. It is that selfish ambition and vain conceit. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for this week continuing to expose that in me. And I ask that you would continue to do so. Thank you for the grace of repentance. Thank you for the opportunity to always remember that you are the king and we are not. Thank you, Father, for helping us know it's not about trying harder to do better. It's about submitting to your lordship and resting in that. And so, Father, as we come, as broken and marred people, we come joyfully submitting all that we are and all that we've done and all that we will do for your glory. And we ask you to use it in any way that you see fit. God, for across this room, you have so many platforms that we may proclaim your goodness and your lordship. So we ask now, Father, that you show us and to help us walk boldly in it. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?